Good evening, Patriots. It's Wednesday, October 19th in the year 2022. East Coast moving rapidly into Thursday. Thursday is always a busy day for me. Tomorrow we've got four shows, but it's good. It's also good is that each night, like tonight, I'm going to get to put my head down on a my pillow and in my pillow sheets with a my pillow comforter. The whole my pillow setup, it's awesome. And where do you do that? What do you do with that? And how do you do that? You head on over to mypillow.com, mypillow.com forward slash bards, and you take a listen. You take a look, not a listen, take a look at those incredible deals that are going on over there. And you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I have to have some of that. And that's what you do. And you know what's really awesome is my pillow has been so supportive and continues to be so supportive of this nation. Not only has Mike Lindell donated millions, tens of millions of dollars to fixing the 2020 election. But now, every time we have a disaster like we just had in Florida with a hurricane, Mike is out there bringing pillows. So he's down there right now, or was down there, handing out pillows and blankets to people in Fort Myers, literally just going door to door, meeting people, having a chance to talk to him. It's just awesome. He's He is the real deal. So when you're... When we're getting great products for our home, for my pillow, we're supporting those types of incredible efforts. That's the type of company that we want to model and make sure that can persist in this nation and get rid of these other Luciferian, greedy, self-consumed beasts of, it, of, of corporations that we have and get back to the real wholesomeness of being an American company. And Mike Lindell is modeling that. And so I'm committed to supporting him as much as I can, and I hope you are too. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash bards is our special landing page there use your promo code bards you can check out all sorts of featured specials on the landing page there's also specials all over the website promo code bards b-a-r-d-s you will not be sorry you did it's really quite amazing good stuff so pages tonight we're going to dig in a little bit into luke 15 a little bit we're going to do luke 15 and talk about it i think it has a lot of relevance to everything that I've been talking about the last few days and pretty regularly. And it's a good time to reflect on this. And if you didn't listen to the show in the last hour, I would encourage you to do so, taking inventory. It's a critical time right now that we have to be really looking deep into ourselves, getting ourselves in order, our spiritual armor up, where our preps are, a lot of things happening and things are going to happen in my my expectation pretty quickly as things move forward here. They've already been accelerating and you've seen that with so many different events, the the craziness of these Luciferians. And just even beyond that, it's just like possessed demons that are everywhere. And I don't say that lightly either. We're just seeing craziness just bubble up and it's before us and there really is no other way to explain it than just really dark demonic activity that's just consumed our nation and so many people around it and it's sad it's unfortunate for sure because this is we've, we're seeing a decline of an empire which is in one hand, good, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy for us to get through because it's going to challenge most of us. And we're seeing the true face of the leadership. I, I really hesitate anymore to point my finger at the Democrat piece. And I, it really kind of irritates me when that's all people are talking about. Like, look how bad the Democrats are. Don't forget that the Republicans, the, the old, the rhinos, are the ones behind the scenes that have been approving and going along with so much of this activity. I personally think the Democrats are just kind of the front engine to distract us and the real darkness sits behind the curtain. And that's really where we're having to look and go. So that's me, but I don't think I'm wrong. Now, another quick call out, Monkey Works. I I like Monkey Works, he's awesome. He did a second video today. He did one about five hours ago, and then he, which is his weekly update, his sit rep, and then he did a follow-on about an hour ago. And I'd really encourage you to go listen 
to both. His follow-up one, one is called Monkey Nation Special, Big Chess Move, coming, question mark. He's pointed out a few things to really keep your head up and, and really pay attention to what's happening here because there's a lot of moves moving on the, the virtual chessboard, and it's and they're not all going to be good. I, I, I do need to say this because I, there's still an illusion for many out there this idea that the military is in control or military is the only way. And while that may be true, I just have to caution you about just taking that hook, line, and sinker as a good thing because when the military, if the military is to assume control, say, in a form of martial law, which is not out of question, you need to understand how much everybody's lives are going to change. There's going to be curfews. And there'll be strict punishment if you violate them. They'll, you'll likely encounter, depending on where you are, but you may encounter checkpoints. You're not going to have freedom of movement. There's likely to be rationing and strict ways of having to access things in terms of rationing. The justice system will be clean. It's based on UCMJ, but under law of war, it can be brutal. And while it's easy to say, yes, we need this, I'm just giving you a caution because this military that we have right now is divided. It's not unified. And there's going to be different forms, different personalities of that military deployed to different areas. And you're not going to at all, you're not going to be able to, that was a nice thing. So you're not going to be able to live a life as you normally have. So I, I really encourage you to um, put a lot of this to prayer and get yourself anchored strongly in that relationship with Father. We're, we're not out of this thing by any means. And I've, I've said this for a long time, that this process is going to take a long time to undo. And that's what who, those who will endure it well or maybe best is a better word, are going to be those that have a deep and intimate relationship with God. Those that are going to suffer the most are those that have been putting their weight into idols, false worships, and even worse, walking away completely from God, and they're going to find themselves having the rug pulled out from under them. And that includes many in the Christian community. Because lacking a relationship with Father, the much many have a relationship with the pulpit, and that's not the same thing. So let's begin with Luke 15. Lost sheep. This is a really good passage here. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need for repentance. I've been talking a lot about deep repentance lately the need to go in deep into your past, to walk that path with Jesus, to be literally, as you move along in that walk in your memories, and you find those things, those, what I will, you can call them hooks, you can call them landmines, you can call them emotional trauma, whatever it is, whatever is, is there that jumps out at you, to pray on it, to offer it to Christ as to seek forgiveness and to ask for the blood of the cross to heal it and seal it. And sealing meaning like your armor. And this is just another reminder of this because the righteous who think that they're beyond repentance or that they've repented once and I'm good, they've missed it. 
There's a real need here to get deep in what we're looking at and trying to build that intimacy with Father. And as we do that intimate relationship with Father and we start to build that relationship with Him, we build a, such a level of love and compassion that isn't just, it's not just a functional issue. So much of the way that we approach God is very, func- very functional. And even worse, in, in the way that it is often perceived as God is a somehow a means to an end of getting things that we want. I pray for a better job. God provides. I'm good. I am showing everybody how God works because he's giving me material things. That's, that's not an int- the intimacy of Father. That's like looking at God as, as a horn of plenty or a toy store with an open credit card. And that's not where the deep relationship is. So we have to be very careful about how we're looking at things. And when we're trying to translate everything always to dollars and things, material aspects in our life, and we're putting that before the relationship with Father, I'm just going to say I don't even know. Sometimes I wonder to myself, and I have no way of verifying this, but I wonder to myself who's really delivering the material things. Our, our intimacy in, in, in God opens up something greater, which is the realization and the real understanding that as we work th- through him, as he guides us, everything around us is, is just transient because we aren't of this world. Our greater mission and what our needs are when we allow him to dictate our needs are very different than what we shape our needs to be. If we're trying to go out and say, I need this type of a house and this type of a car, I mean, that, that's just us dictating and trying to, in my opinion, we're just trying to use that concept of God to justify what we're doing. God might give you a bicycle, but it may be for what he needs you to do to do the best for where you are, for what he needs you to be doing. We're not listening deep enough most of the time. Luke 15, 8, or what woman, this is Jesus continuing with the parable, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over a one sinner who repents. So always, this is really interesting in context what I've been talking about in terms of, we just talked about last hour, in fact, which is taking inventory. There's a lot of parables, parallels here in what's going on. She's literally sweeping the house, which I love the fact that she's taking so much care and concern over one coin, realizing that that one coin is itself stewardship. That's the, the, the kind of the front end of this. Obviously, this parable is designed to look deeper. And in the deep depth of this, what we're really looking at is she's the person that's willing to go and search and look deep to realize the repentance before Father and how glorious that is. Both of these are we're referring as well to finding the one. Finding the one. We brush over often the, the importance of discipling in our world. And it's so essential. We don't know what discipling does in a bigger plane. Imagine blowing a shofar and we know that that sound goes out into the neighborhood. We hear it. We know it. You're going to know it if your neighbors are screaming at you at night going, stop, because they hear it. Discipleship, though, is, is that kind of spiritual wave. We're discipling with one, but we don't know how that's going to affect. We're, we're sowing seeds. In, part, in these parables, we're also being reminded the importance of always looking for the one. That goes right back to the very beginning of this, of Luke 15, 2, when they say they're, they're complaining that Jesus is this man, receives sinners, and eats with them. Of course he does. And that's why he's able to sit with tax collectors and prostitutes, because he also has, he makes a pretty good case that those that are at the bottom are most open to hearing and receiving the Lord in their heart. So many of the righteous who claim that they're already there have missed much of the depth 
of that repentance and that accepting of Christ. Our challenge is to constantly dig deeper, in my opinion. Let's continue on. Luke 15, starting with 11. And this is a wonderful passage because this, in this passage, this whole piece, which is called the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. What's so amazing here is we, I think we really get a glimpse here into the depth and love of father. Because we too often look at father as kind of this, we're going to have a father over here that if we have to constantly repent and we're not worthy. And this is actually addressed right here in this parable. So let's read through it. And he said, a man had two sons. This is Christ speaking. The younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squashed his estate in wild living. He squandered. He then, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began doing without. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger? I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and came to his father. But when he, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, slaughtered, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, has come to life again, and was lost and has been found. And they begin to celebrate. And we'll continue with this in a minute. But this is the point that I've made so many times is there is a there is this concept that I have run into way too many times within the teachings from the pulpit that we are not worthy. That is not consistent here. We are very worthy. In fact, what we're learning is as we have the humility to deeply face Father and repent as this son had the courage to do, we are welcomed home with great joy because it's his He's so thrilled, and there is much shared. It isn't the expectation that we're punished. We think this way. I'm unworthy. I've done something wrong. Therefore, I must suffer, and I must be rebuked. I don't know how that gets so deeply ingrained in us, but it's here. It's in our culture. But as Christ is saying here, this is the celebration of heaven. As one has the courage to repent and place themselves before Father, and we have the sacrifice of Christ, which is, forgiven our sins with the blood on the cross. This is now our, as we come here, we, we're embraced in heaven because we've put ourselves before Jesus. We put ourselves before Father. We said, look, this is what we've done. And that's at the core of a lot of what I talk about when I say this method of deep repentance that I personally have been doing and I encourage others to explore, to really go deep into your life, to spend time walking that that timeline with Jesus and going through as much as you can remember step by step. It might take you a week. It might take you a month. I don't know. And I don't think it's one. It's, and for me, it's not something that just gets done once and it's all over because part of going back into our lives is we will find things. And I know that there's a, there is a general idea that, well, all of that has been forgiven. That's not my point here. I know it has. My point is accountability and having the courage 
to bring that to Christ and to speak it openly, not just to put it in your head, but to speak it into the world and to release it and to show the courage to be able to account for everything that you can see. And in the process, we learn so much. We learn about what we are. We learn about what we did. We start to see things in our past that maybe we didn't expect to be snagging us or to be on our thoughts. And as those things percolate up, you bring them again to Jesus. And it's a wonderful process of freeing ourselves from any sort of connection and bondage that this world seems to so insistent on trying to put around us. I mean, this world is designed to shackle us all. It's intended to hold us here, to give us anchoring here so that when we go to heaven, we'll be able to say, Father will be able to say, let me see the reflection of my son in your heart. And what we'll show, people will show and go, well, I had a Maserati and I had a cool house and I did this and it's going to be like, that's gone. What else you got? See, that's, that's the whole, this trap that has been set here is a trap intended to destroy our purpose in serving Father God in all that we do. So let's continue because I think this is where it gets really interesting. And this is 1525, Luke 1525. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached him, approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he came, he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when these, this son of yours comes home, he, was de- he has devoured, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and had become and has has begun to live and was lost and has now been found. I think one of the big issues there that the, the older son assumes that the obedience is there, but forgets that all he ever had to do was ask. Because all that is his father's is also his. We make a lot of assumptions in our relationship sometimes with Father. We're afraid to ask. We're afraid to put before him what our needs are. We want to be dutiful in our service. That's this intimate conversation again, this need to have a dialogue. How do you know who Father God is if you can't hear him speaking? That's the real question. And when you begin to have that encounter where you feel hear him and in the many ways that he speaks an impression on the heart words in your dreams however that comes out it's there it's real and in the many different forms that it conforms or confirms itself as well he's wanting us to be massively successful and he lives through us to enjoy the experience that we have in learning this walk and so here the older son assumes that duty obedience, blind obedience, and ultimately an accepted suffering because he doesn't want to ask for anything. He expects to have something given to him as a reward. That's not the way it's working. And his father is reminding him. He says, you've always been here. You're with me. What is mine is yours. We share. But he never asked. The assumption was that the father would reward him. For what? Reward him because he was doing what he's supposed to be doing? His, his, his part of his inheritance was right before him. All he had to do was just say, Father, I'd like to know if I could have a goat to share it with my friends. But he never did that. He expected his father to race up and say, Son, good job for being obedient to me. And that's, I think we tend to do that a lot. And this is going to trip up a lot of people, I believe, as we go forward. These sorts of misconstruing approaches to Father God. We have some real challenges that are ahead of us. And I'm going to tell you just a personal story here because I've lived some of this in a very visceral and real way. My father and I separated over anger for 10 years. And we did not speak. 
for 10 years. And it was, it got ugly. In fact, there was somebody that was, that knew him that decided to make me hurt. And they wrote a fake obituary of his and mailed it to me and told me he had died. And for a period of time, I believed that he had died, but I was so guilty of having not spoken to him, I couldn't even reach out to the family. When I discovered that that was a lie, then it became this other question of who could I trust? And I walked 10 years of my life without having a relationship with my father until my mother called one day. And in the most amazing call of my life, she just said, finally, she just needed to see how I was. And she tracked down my number. I, we had no communication. She tracked down my number. And it, was, it happened to be a very good time for her to call for many reasons in my life. And that led to a conversation to where eventually, within about six months, I had moved back to Oregon at that point in my life. And I guess it was about eight months. And about four months after that, we had healed so sufficiently. And we healed not because of me. But the credit goes to my father because he opened his arms and it was basically, son, all is forgiven. I just want to have you home. Let me tell you. You, you truly learn what it is, what greatness is of a father in those moments. He and I have had difficult moments in those first few months. We had some very terse words between each other. But we were committed to airing all of our grievances, to working through the misunderstandings that had occurred. We dedicated ourselves to that commitment to find our solidity between ourselves again, to rekindle the flame of father and son and to take it further, to make it so we were the best friends in our lives. Today, today, we share our lives together as I have purchased their house and I will see to it that they will never go into a home. That's my commitment. But it's, it began, that whole process ultimately sits at the point where he and I were separated. And ironically, I have a brother that suffered the same anger that was in this passage. So I'm telling you, I've lived this, truly lived this in a most real and visceral way. And when I talk about having a relationship with Father God, I'm not just speaking and it's a metaphor. I'm talking about engaging Father God in a deep and personal way, having the courage to face Father God and speak your heart, even when that isn't comfortable in the words and framing of how we're supposed to speak to him. I'm telling you to learn to listen to Father God, to where you hear him like a booming voice in your head. And that when you speak, you hear a response. Because I'll tell you what, I have that. I don't say that to boast. I have that because I want you and every single person listening to have the same. Because it's there. And it's so powerful in our lives. When we have that personal relationship. And it all takes, because our Father in heaven is not here to condemn us. He is so joyous when we repent and come to him. He is so excited that someone has the courage to do that. And that sits with us in our heart, in our courage to do that. But when we sit on the outside and we just pray and we pray for ourselves or we pray for our things or we pray for a new job, or it, it, you know, I would generally say Father is probably handing those things out to a degree. But it's, it's almost like it's said above. I tell you there is joy in presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, so much of our world is constructed around us and me and what I need. But that's never as it was intended to be. We were supposed to be serving him our entire life. Our walk is intended to be 
as an extension of him, that he guides us in all things. And that goes back to the Sunday night show where I talked about doing kingdom business. And this is, it's very visceral to me when I'm sharing with you right now. Not only has this been very profound in my, in the insight that Father's provided for me in the last weeks through prayer and through conversation, not only is these things equally visceral in the conversations and prayer I've had with Jesus, but there is a coming time here that's going to shake everything. And I mean this when I say that Father's reaching out to bring as many to him as he can in this very beautiful way with this, with this, as the older son comes to his father, those that are willing to say openly, here I am, here's everything in my life before you. This is what my repentance is. And I need to have an intimate relationship with you. I miss you. I want to be with you again. And the older son comes for purpose because he's realizing that he'd lost everything, but his father, at least his slaves, the father's slaves had, or servants had more than he had, even though he realized he had squandered everything. And he was bold enough to say that he had the humility to say it. And what he discovered was that he was special. He wasn't unworthy. You see, I learned that as well in real life with real blood because there's a real guilt that weighs on you after a time when you have a separation like I did with your father, with my father. He is a great man, but we were hard-headed. He was a first child, only child. I was a first child. Stubborn, both of us. Hard-headed. Strong in our stance on things. And we ended up in a place where we just couldn't speak, and it was ugly. But today... He's my best friend. He's a trusted counsel. And as he ages, I'm there for him. Father God never, ever is walking away from us. He may give us space to grow and learn. He may allow us, as he, as any good father does, to fall and stumble. Sometimes we'll smash our face on the concrete but he's always got a hand extended to raise us up. And as we walk into this world, when we miss that opportunity to have that level of intimacy with him, we're missing a great deal of part of our purpose and our life in this time. As we work through a process of what I call deep repentance, what I also titled in the previous show, taking inventory of our lives, it's all about freeing ourselves and bringing ourselves closer to him. This is not some sort of witchcraft voodoo process. It's not some sort of crazy Christian method. It's mine. I'm sharing it with you. Take it, leave it. But I'm just telling you what is done in my life. And I know myself and my journey well. And I know what gifts he's given and I know where I have deeply walked off that path. And I am holy and perfect. But the beautiful thing is that every time I've come to him with something else I find, and I walk to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I need repentance for this. It's given. As I own it and I explain it, it's given. But it's not just a it's not just a thing of like you've been blessed. Christ is blah, 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 and you're all good. Dominus ominous out the door. No, this is intimate and personal because I'm able to have a discussion about it. And I'm telling you, you talk about healing. You talk about getting deep in ourselves and learning the greater power that we have. You talk about opening up and learning more about who we really are. That's the journey. And that's where he's got us. And why we're in part why we're here. And what faces us right now is a dark and evil world. It's not going to get less. I'm very open about this fact. And I've been, as I told you a couple weeks ago, I've held back on this whole place of demons and demonic forces. But it's real. 
And to deny it is even to walk away from what scripture shows us. It's real. And it's growing in our life. It's around us because so many people are walking without Jesus. So many people are walking without the armor of God. And the demonic is moving in this world. If you doubt that, just turn on the TV and watch the next transgenders dance at a library. Because it's happening there too. And we're Ill, we are ill-equipped to deal with it as a, as a people. Because we've been so programmed, we've been engaged with a narrative that, that Lucifer himself has put within the world, the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled, and the masterful sleight of hand, that he's not real. That the devil and his power has been diminished on this earth because Christ was sacrificed. We have nothing to worry about. Not true. The disciples were sent out to do their job after the sacrifice and crucifixion because there it was then that it was understood that their sins and the sins of man were forgiven. But now the real work began. And that's really where it begins when we accept Christ in our life. The real hard work begins, digging deep and then walking into the world, discipling and expanding the kingdom. Because this is a fallen world. And I have no intention in the time that I'm here to not to be able to not be able to say to Father, I've I'm going to tell him I've done all I can. I all you've possibly asked me to do, I'm going to do it. Because I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to serve you in a deeper way. And we will continue to make mistakes and we will continue to sin, of course. And we will continue, if you are walking that path, to have humility before him to ask for forgiveness. And then, hopefully, to seal that wound and heal the wound with the blood of the cross. Because each time, their armor gets stronger, and each time we grow and the wisdom gets bigger within us. But I just know that as with the, older, with the son who came home, there is joy in heaven. When, though, when there is repentance to come closer to Father God. I told you this in something that was given in my prayer weeks ago, that there was a moment that there were tears and rage in heaven. Tears and rage in heaven because there was so much warring going on in the angelic realm for us, and yet still God's children were rebuking him and walking away. And I still hold that's probably true. But as we see what happens when we have the courage to turn, to face, to open our hearts and to be accountable for our lives in every way, I, there's rejoicing in heaven for that. There's joy beyond joy. And our Father is the one who achieves the greatest amount of joy because his son or daughter has come home. This time that we are in is designed by the darkest of, of forces to convolute everything, to offer enticements and deception that will pull us far from our relationship with God. It's designed to corrupt our values. It's designed to corrupt what we, even how we pray. It has corrupted our churches, so many of them, into becoming businesses rather than the places to learn about Jesus. And it's sad. And, they've, and there's darker elements than that, and we know it. Far worse than just turning a church into a business. And we've seen it, and we know it's there. So with all of that, our discernment has to be at its highest level because these tricks are not going to get less. They're going to get more. The noose is tightening on this demonic realm, on this fallen land. The noose is tightening. And God's going to ultimately show his face. So it's undeniable that he's here. 
And the more that we seek him and find that intimacy with him, the more we'll be able to bring that into the world and work with him to bring back as many as possible. We'll also be able to navigate this path that will be thrown before us, loaded with landmines and trip and trip wires. And we have to be able to step through it and avoid them all. And they're going to get very devious. But we will and we can and we must as we build that deep, personal, and intimate relationship with Father God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the times that we have to share and all that we have, the time we have with you. And we're grateful for the absolute love that you have showered upon us. Father, we just put ourselves before you and for those that are willing to accept this prayer tonight, just to open our hearts as deeply as possible and just hold out there that walk in our life to be able to go through it with detail, to place before you those things where we have misstepped our transgressions, our sins, and to seek the forgiveness in what is essentially an inventory of our life as we strengthen our armor and stand more boldly before this enemy and are able to get more close to you and the throne. Father, we are imperfect, as you well know, and we are deeply humbled by the pure knowledge of what was sacrificed to give us, to forgive us for our sins. And now the work that sits before us perhaps is the hardest work, the work to dig in, to dig deep, and to hold ourselves accountable for all of our life, not just blanket it with an easy Passover of a wand, but instead to go in deep into our life, to face all of that in accountability, to unhook ourselves from those moments, to free ourselves with the power of love, and in the process, be able to love more deeply and more powerfully in this world. And in and in that walk, develop a more intimate, loving, and personal relationship with you. So thank you, Father, for all you've done, for all you do, for knowing our heart as you know us. Thank you for the magnificence of a world that has sits before us and the opportunity to walk in this time. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, it's a things. I guess I would say things are getting obviously faster in their movement and crazier by the day. And we joke about it a lot, and we need to keep that humor. Don't hesitate to laugh at the stupid, because as we as we identify evil and what it's trying to do, don't let it get to you in a dark way. But equally, keep your armor strong. Take it serious like you're on a battlefield because we are. It just so happens that this battlefield is consumed with forces that are beyond our reach and in principalities beyond our control. But it's, it's real nonetheless. And we're standing boldly and we're fighting and we're on the front lines of this fight. And each and every one of us is critical to this fight. God knows that. We have to believe that and we have to seek him for that guidance as we move forward. So keep your, hand, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh, I want
sans peur. 